On this episode of the Flint Catholic Podcast, we're going to talk about the three-year anniversary of Vos Estes Lux Mundi. Have you even ever heard of it? I have not. Okay, great. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. And then in the second segment, we're going to bring back an old favorite uh, segment. We're going to, instead of asking for or answering questions from eighth graders, we're going to answer questions from high schoolers. Sounds great. Next on the Flint Catholic Podcast. God, wake me up. <laughs> We're back. We're back. That was quick. <laughs> that was that quick. stinger was really quick. All right. So, uh, I mean, you have heard of Vos Estes Lux Mundi, right? Well, only through you, to okay, be honest. Okay, great. Um, yeah. So we decided that uh, I want to talk about Vos Estes Lux Mundi because it's an important topic in, our, uh, in the church right now. And uh, um, so the r- first question is, what is Vos Estes Lux Mundi? So... Three years ago, um, Pope Francis promulgated this motu proprio, which is really a document saying, like, this is now what we're doing in the church. Um, and it's kind of like a, an executive order from uh, someone in government, is a, mo- a motu proprio is. Uh, and so this, this uh, motu proprio uh, is really looking f- for uh, how do we find accountability amongst the bishops? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about in um, cases of sexual abuse uh, mm-hmm. and all of these issues, you know, we know what to do with, with priests, right? They're, they're taken out of ministry. There's a full investigation. And, you know, if they're, if they're exonerated, they, they return to ministry. And if not, then they're probably laicized and all of these things. Um, but what about with bishops? Bishops who are negligent in their duties to, um, you know, to actually... Uh, enforce these rules. So, you know, if a bishop is just moving a priest from parish to parish, um, or if a bishop is himself engaged in, in these uh, despicable activities, mm-hmm. what do you do? Because the bishop's kind of like the highest, like who holds the bishop accountable, who watches the watchmen. Right. Yeah. And just for, for clarity's sake, vos, vox, vos estes lux mundi, what does that mean literally? So uh, you are the light of the world. Okay. You are the light of the world. So, yeah, it's it's quoting Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this the the church is meant to be like uh, this, the shining city on a hill. Right. And when these things happen, um, it, it really discredits what the church is, yep. the institutional church. Yep. And so so the very important topic, right, really important and necessary thing that the church needs to do. So what I want to do is I just want to start by, you know, talking about Vos Estes a little bit, um, and I want to read the first few paragraphs from the document itself. Um, we're talking about it because it's been three years since its promulgation, and um, Vos Estes actually had a three-year limit on it. Like, this is this is going to do, we're going to do this for the next three years, and then see what happens. So it passed over the summer. The date expired over the summer. Um, so what are we doing now? We're really just kind of continuing Vos Estes. Um, and, you know, really in, in a practical sense, it's continuing on. Um, but the real question I want to ask is, is it working? Are sure. we seeing it actually producing results? Um, we'll take a look. So, And, and yeah. just to set a little bit more context here, I, I mean, I wonder how many Catholics have actually uh, met a bishop or, or, or met their bishop. And, um, and I think just, just to set the table here, we, we want to kind of put ourselves in the mind of a bishop, like mm. what they're actually in charge of, 
what their um, commission from from Christ is, and maybe it talks about it here in, in the introductory paragraphs. But I think when we even talk about bishops in the church, it can sound a little bit like I don't even know what a bishop does. Yeah. Um, right. So maybe it gets into that, but just just for the sake of um, you know the, the typical person who maybe has never even uh, come across a bishop in their life. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's uh, let's read the first few paragraphs, and then we can we can kind of look into that, sure. look into those things. Uh, so it starts with, "You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden." Matthew chapter five verse fourteen. Our Lord Jesus Christ calls every believer to be a shining example of virtue, integrity, and holiness. All of us, in fact, are called to give concrete witness of faith in Christ in our lives, and in particular, in our relationship with others. The crimes of sexual abuse offend our Lord, cause physical, psychological, and spiritual damage to the victims and harm of the community of the faithful. In order that these phenomena in all their forms never happen again, a continuous and profound conversion of hearts is needed, attested by concrete and effective actions that involve everyone in the church, so that personal sanctity and moral commitment can contribute to promoting the full credibility of the gospel message and the effectiveness of the church's mission. This becomes possible only with the grace of the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts, as we must always keep in mind the words of Jesus, apart from me, you can do nothing. Even if so much has already been accomplished, we must continue to learn from the bitter lessons of the past, looking with hope towards the future. This responsibility falls above all on the successors of the apostles, chosen by God to be pastoral leaders of his people, and demands from them a commitment to follow closely the path of the divine master, because of their ministry, in fact, bishops, as vicars and legates of Christ, governed the particular churches entrusted to them by their counsel, exhortations, example, and even by their authority and sacred power, which indeed they use only for the edification of their flock in truth and holiness, remembering that he who is greater should become as the lesser, and he who is the chief become as the servant." What more closely concerns the successors of the apostles concerns all those who, in various ways, assume ministries in the church or profess the evangelical councils or are called to serve the Christian people. Therefore, it is good that procedures be universally adopted to prevent and combat these crimes that betray the trust of the faithful. I desire that this commitment be implemented in a fully ecclesial manner so that it may express the communion that keeps us united in mutual listening and open to the contributions of those who care deeply about this process of conversion. So that's the opening statement to it. And I think it's a really good opening statement. Yeah, it and is. It even does talk a little bit about like, what does the bishop do, right? It's the edification of the flock in truth and holiness. Um, and that's not just for the flock, but in particular way for the priests as well, right? So the bishop um, is in charge of the priests of his, his diocese and of all the people. And so uh, I think this is a, a really good, strong statement that, yeah, this requires everybody, and this is important, needs to be done well. Yeah. Um, so uh, is vos estes working? So really what we're, we're talking about what is vos estes, it's um, the rest of the entire document just lays out in a very legal manner what are the things that we're going to do to make sure um, – that bishops are held accountable. We're going to have this board set up um, of a bunch of different people, and there's going to be investigations, and then, um, you know, it's it's got it all in legalese. And uh, I think one of the 
important things to remember is that, you know, this is three years into Vosastes. That can seem like a long time, right? We've been doing this for three years, but there's only been a handful of cases to actually work with Vosastes, at least only a certain number of cases that, that we know about. Mm -hmm. um, so have they worked in these particular circumstances? And in my personal opinion, I think there's a mixed bag. Okay. Um, I think we've certainly seen um, things come to light uh, that probably wouldn't have before this. Circumstances and, and transgressions have come to light now that, that never that probably wouldn't have before. I think that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. There's transparency. Um, there's, okay, now now we're seeing starting to see, oh, yes, this bishop is being investigated for this. This bishop has now admitted to this. Um, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. However, I think we've got a long way to go until we see the final product of what Vostestes really needs to be. Um, we've had a few cases in the news recently um, where, well, is Vostestes actually working? Looking at uh, the Brooklyn bishop, and I forget his name off the top of my head, but he's under investigation. And um, one thing we see is that it was uh, Cardinal um, Dolan who was given charge of the Vosestes case. And uh, um, Cardinal Dolan and, and the Brooklyn bishop are um, really good friends. Seems like a problem. Conflict of interest. Seems like a pretty significant conflict of interest. Yeah. So why is Dolan in charge of this? Okay, now we need to like figure out, okay, what determines a conflict of interest? And, and you know, Dolan should not be given the charge of this case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm, I am okay with, you know, other bishops leading the, the cases, especially in, when we're talking about um, cases that don't involve civil cases right so not every case of vos estes that's that's being looked into actually carries like like civil um repercussions right um this not every case has to deal with minors you know if minors are involved absolutely that needs to go to uh to the the police the courts they'll they'll determine everything right um but what about when when it's with an adult the mm -hmm. consenting adult mm -hmm. um that certainly breaks all kinds of church law but it doesn't break any civil law um, so certainly in those cases, bishops need to be um, involved in this, and this is something the church needs to handle internally. But how do we determine these conflicts of interest? I think those need to be spelled out. If we're looking at how can we improve Vosestes, that needs to be something that needs to be um, ironed out. And, yeah. and I trust that it will be. Yeah, and I, I think it reminds me a little bit of um, you and I were having a conversation earlier today about um, the percentage of priests that trust their bishops oh, and, yeah. and then beyond that the, the percentage of of catholics maybe that that trust their bishops and so how do you how do we establish trust um and one of the ways in which you do that is um don't put yourself in situations where your integrity in an investigation may be questioned yeah for sure yeah um yeah if the the um the polls you're looking at or the, the study you're looking at is from the Catholic University of America, and, and they, they asked priests, lots of priests in the United States, and I'm pretty sure this was just confined to the United States. It wasn't a worldwide survey, um, but it was of the priests of the United States, and they, and they uh, surveyed bishops as well. Um, and, and one of the questions was, how many of you trust your bishop? And that number was like 49%, very low. And then how many trust the bishops in general? And surprise, surprise, that, that number was even lower. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, clearly there's a lack of trust amongst the hierarchy, amongst the bishops. And, you know, there's a reason for that. There, there's been, they've been given us a lot of reasons not to trust them. Like in this case in particular, right? You see this bishop who should have excused himself, 
should have said, you know what? I'm too close to this case. I shouldn't be in charge of this. And said, he said, no, I can handle it. And, you know, whether he thought he could handle it or not, I'm not here to judge that. I don't know. But even, you know, just subconsciously, he shouldn't have, you know, there, there's no way you can fairly judge, adjudicate this case. There's no mm-hmm. way. Um, you're too close. So, yeah, these are the types of things we need to, to see not happen anymore um, in order to, to, to get that trust back. Um, so so what, are, what are the things that um, would make Vosestis a, a success, yeah. you think, moving forward? Um, transparency is the first one. So as I said earlier, like we kind of know some of the cases, but there's still kind of an, an aura of secrecy around it. Like, is this bishop being investigated under Vosestis? We don't know until things go public and they've been investigated for a while. We don't know. There's some sticky issues with that, right? Like, you don't want to just throw people's names out there and say, well, there's an investigation, but we don't know if it's, you know, it's, if it's, re- if it's um, credible or not. Okay, I understand that, but, um, you know, we do need to know. So now it's known that, you know, Bishop Monfortin has a couple of Vosestis cases that's, um, that, that's uh, aimed at him. Um, okay, what's, what are we going to do about that now? We'll see how those play out. Um, but I think transparency is just, it's a big, big piece of that. Like what's the nature of the Vostastis case? Can we, do we know any details? There's not anything in the document currently about when information is released, yeah. when the transparency is supposed to happen. In the end, when, when a case is concluded, we, we do get to know the details, but you know, in the midst of it, you know, we're kind of in this, uh, don't know. We don't know how many cases there are right now. We don't know if there are cases we'll, we'll never hear about. Mm-hmm. So I think transparency needs to be a huge major factor. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes me think about, um, when Jesus talks about th- that, everything in the, in the darkness is ultimately going to come to light. Yeah. And, um, if you, if you try and keep something hidden, uh, it's eventually going to look that much worse if it comes out later on. And so the importance of getting things into the light, uh, as soon as possible will, will then, you know, help the process to be not as, um, botched, you know, as it has been. Right. So, yeah, we know that, you know, since 2002, since 2017, Pennsylvania grand jury, all of these things, we've got so many reasons to, to, to really question, well, are the bishops going to get this right? Because they haven't for a long, long time. Um, and we can just get really dragged down, right? And every time a new report comes out, it can drag us down further and further and further and further. Um, but I want to finish this segment with actually some positives. Um, and uh, first and foremost, I want to start with, um, so one of the things that the bishops have done is they've set up a reporting system um, for bishops that are completely separate from the bishops. So if you go to reportbishopabuse.org, that's the website from the outside third-party company that has nothing to do with the hierarchy of the church. Mm-hmm. They are um, they're a group that, that just collects information. Um, and, you know, if there's a uh, bishop, um, if you have some abuse to report about a bishop that includes um, something that civil authorities need to be involved in, that group will contact civil authorities, but if it's something that the church only needs to be involved in, they'll go to the appropriate places there. Completely third party, um, so there's no you know sense of this is going to get buried by yep. the church because it's not the church doing it. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really positive thing. They they got that piece right, right? You get a third party group in, 
who um you know is is willing to to say what needs to be said that's great um i think that is great too um so there there's that um and then secondly um you know there's cert, there seems to be a, a a strong willingness to to keep working with vos estes you know i think it got a lot of criticism right away because it seemed like it was very hastily thrown together and then thrown out there mm. and yeah that that can seem like a problem but i also i see it from the lens of well they were they, we needed something and so let's just start here take a couple of years and and see how it works and then we can keep tweaking it from there on it it looks like you know every time more cases come through they're willing to say okay they're learning from these cases what can we do better how can we make this better and and that's that's really good that that shows uh, a willingness on the part of the Vatican and on the part of Pope Francis and Curia and the bishops like yeah we need to do something yeah um, I think most bishops are hundred percent on board with that yeah and th- the other thing that comes to mind is um, anytime you're you're rolling out a new process um, it, it just takes time yeah. to, to get it um, excellent and, and and to get it perfect. So I, I applaud the bishops for um, putting this together and putting a three-year um, test on it and then seeing what the good fruit is, continuing with the good fruit and throwing out any bad fruit. Yeah. And, you know, I th- maybe one of the issues is that there haven't been enough test cases yet to actually, you know, three years can seem like a long time, but if you don't have a lot of test cases, which thanks be to God, I hope that is the problem, mm-hmm. right? You know, we, we kind of hope that's the, the issue here, but yeah. You know, it takes a while in the church, moves slowly, and three years in the life of the church is, is really nothing. Right. So yeah, it's not a lot at all. In fact, when I saw that, I went, it's been three years already since Vos Estes came out. It's like, whoa, that was quick. Yeah. It just seems seems really quick. So call to action. Here's our call to action. You ready? Ready. A lot of these things, when we hear like another bishop, another bishop, oh my gosh, another priest, another this and that, we can get really discouraged. But the, But really, this should spur us on to pray even more for the bishops. Like, pray hard for the bishops. They need our prayers. They're under significant um, pressures from the world, significant spiritual attacks. And, you know, the devil wants to take them all down. Yes. And he's taken a lot of them down, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, So they need our prayers. So let's keep praying for the bishops and, and, yeah, support them as much as we can and call them out when they need to. You know, sometimes love does mean a swift kick in the pants. Mm. Um, you know, that is the loving thing to do sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, if you know Bishop Boyer, uh, he's, he's excellent at tough love. He is. He knows, he how, to, is. He knows how to love, love you in a tough way. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. pray for the bishops because um, that's they, they really do need our prayers. And especially for taking up something like this, you know, that's going to the evil one does not like the light. He wants to keep everything in the darkness. And they've, by the name of it, want to bring these things to the light. Yeah. So, um, We'll keep praying for the bishops. On the other side, so we got some announcements, and I see I see fish fry in this first announcement. I'm Ooh. kind of excited. I'm getting hungry now. Yeah, I'm really excited. So uh, we'll have some announcements, and then we will uh, uh, try to answer some questions from some high schoolers. I'm excited. Perfect. See you on, see you on the other side of the break. On November 18th, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's the fish fry I was talking about. Christ the King Catholic Church on uh, 1811 Seymour Avenue here in Flint is having a fish fry. That's all the announcement says. Uh, that's all I need to hear, right? Fish fry, and I'm in. Like, 
So I feel I'm, like if you're having a fish fry in November, it's like Christmas in July. Like you just, I just can't wait till Lent yeah, for my fish go. fries. You got to go. go now. Let's go, go now. I'm not waiting for Lent. It's not like we, they couldn't even wait till Advent. <laughs> so, all right. Fish fry, uh, Christ King Catholic Church. Social ministry team at St. Pius X. If you think you might like to be a part of a team of people with a heart for reaching out to those in need, please contact Karen Downs uh, at 810-287-2490 or email at m-e-s-w-f-d at aol.com. I'm I'm curious as to what those letters mean. M-e-s-w-f-d at aol.com. I don't know, but if you're called to do that, you'll be able to interpret that uh, email address. Yes. We'll have all of this in the description. Um, we are in the planning stages and would love to assemble a team of people. You do not need to be physically mobile to be part of the team. So that's cool. Um, Christmas concert. Are you ready for Christmas? No, but I'm ready to hear about the concert. Yeah. Absolutely ready. Yes. Pax is excited because this is happening at his parish. Christmas music. Last oh, that's right. You did start listening to Christmas music. I'm, I'm opposed to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving because I'm not skipping over my favorite secular holiday. <laughs> food and football that's oh it's just great all right christmas concert save the date though you do want to save the date to this concert because i went last year and it was awesome our christmas concert is back again this year at holy redeemer we are offering two free evenings of your favorite christmas tunes performed by your favorite musicians and singers here at holy redeemer come join us on december 9th or 10th at 7 p.m for a great family time this year's concert features christine Barron, daniel schmidt john mira maria fabry jack stock Holy Redeemer's worship team, Christmas orchestra, and a cappella singers. It's going to be an amazing event, so invite your family, friends, and neighbors to a concert you will be sure you to want to come back to every single year. And we've even got a clip from last year's show featuring John Mira and Power's uh, own Mr. Austin Tripp. Our uh, band director is also uh, rocking the saxophone Amen. in this as well. So uh, let's play Roll That Beautiful Bean footage. I can't wait. That is not your grandparents' jingle bells. That is, that is not. No, it's so good. They, I mean, they hire some amazing musicians every year, and like from start to finish, that concert is awesome. You can find the whole concert on their on their YouTube page. Yeah. Um, that was just a small taste of what you'll hear that night. Joey was there, and Joey was there. That's right. Your brother was there, which is cool. Is he going to make a, uh, a a comeback? Mm, I don't know if he'll make it by. Probably not. Anyway. 
One last, one last uh, announcement. Advent Family Fun. This is also from Holy Redeemer. Looking for fun family activities this Advent? We got you covered. This year we have so many great activities to keep you and your family entertained and faith-focused as we all wait for the coming of Christ into our hearts, homes, and world. Each morning of Advent, you will receive an email with something fun your whole family can do. Keep the faith and join the fun. So click on the link in the description below to get great ideas sent to your inbox every day of Advent. I'm probably going to do that. Sounds like fun. Yeah. We could totally implement some of those at school, probably. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I like that. We're going to do that. All right. And that's it for the announcements this week. All right, we are back with a special question and answer segment. We had a couple of great questions from one of our senior students here at Powers Catholic, so we thought we'd feature them on this podcast. And they're kind of related to each other, so uh, let's dive right in. So the first question is, all right, before Jesus's death and resurrection, where did souls go that, that died before that happened? They didn't go to heaven and hell. They didn't go to heaven and hell. Ooh, yeah. So right, because uh, did everybody go to hell? Because if Jesus hadn't saved anybody yet, like they couldn't go to heaven, right? Heaven was was locked to us because of our sins. So where did they end up? So I love this question, right? Because it's 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 an important question, something we have to um, we have to work through and, and think about. And to me, I love that she asked this question because she's like the wheels are turning in her mind, right? Like, wait. What about before Jesus saved us? Are they all just like, like, sorry, can't do anything for you? I'm thinking of like the the '90s movie Casper the Ghost. You know, and it's oh like we're, we're, we're all the souls just like ghosting around. Oh yeah, they could have been. That's a good quote. That's a good call. So the answer is no. They weren't just ghosting around. Um, so in uh, Jewish tradition, there's a place called Sheol, and and really that's where all the souls went. It's really just the place of the dead. Sometimes you'll hear it in scripture. Um, they call it the um, uh, the nether world, mm. which I think is like the Greek translation of that. So Sheol would be the the Hebrew, uh, the nether world, um, not the Beetlejuice nether world, which I think about every single time. Um, <laughs> When, when another I, 90s movie another 90s movie and tv show yes uh i every time that it comes up in scripture i always think of beetlejuice in <laughs> when they say netherworld anyway um so uh and i get i i've only said it twice i haven't said it a third time so only a 90s kid would would get that reference. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny the two of them are they're like i have no idea what you're talking about you get it all right good very good They've, they've been cultured. So, so they're, yeah. they're, they're in Sheol, which is really just the place of the dead. So it's not heaven and it's not hell as we know it. Um, the word hell may be used, but really it's the place, it's a place called Sheol. Um, and uh, so um, when we talk about uh, where did they go, they're, they're not really, they're not condemned, but they're also not saved, mm-hmm. right? They really can't be either until... Jesus's judgment, right? You can't be condemned unless you've been judged condemned. Yeah. And then you can't be saved unless you've been judged saved. If Jesus hasn't, you know, 
gone through that judgment process, there's they're they're kind of everybody, all the good people and all the bad people, everybody who's ever died is just kind of lumped into this this shale. And and the Jews really didn't know much about this place. In fact, they weren't even really that that comes up even later in their tradition. Um, for for a long time in Jewish history, they they just assumed this was it, right? Mm-hmm. And and so this was that was the end of life. And they didn't know much after that. When we get to the time of the Maccabees, that's when we start seeing. Okay, now we see Judas Maccabeus praying for the dead. And there's this idea of an afterlife and an idea of Sheol has, has really formed and, and become part of the, the Jewish tradition. Um, but but that, that's developing over, you know, hundreds of years, centuries and centuries. And, and so when Jesus comes onto the scene, then, then everything kind of flips on its head. Yeah. And so a question related to that is uh, when we say the creed at Mass, we mm-hmm. say Jesus descended he descended into hell yes Uh, so why do we say our second question is why do we say that jesus descended into hell if he technically descended into shale so we see in scripture that right um i think something that's very helpful is uh you know um the the gates of hell will not prevail prevail against the church right and i think that image uh, at least for me and i think for a lot of people we get the image completely backwards where we like i've i had this image of like a gate and it was the gate of hell, and it was trying to, like, invade heaven, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And it's actually the exact opposite of that, where the gates of hell will not prevail in holding us in. Will not prevail in holding us in. So once, so Jesus, and this is one of my favorite times of year, and I think, I think last year I read the, the Harrowing of Hell on this podcast, mm. which is so good. The Harrowing of Hell is one of my favorite early church texts period. If you want to know what the harrowing of hell is, go back to um, that podcast right around Easter, and I read it. It's the Holy Saturday reading. This is what Jesus is doing on Holy Saturday, is he's going down to the place of the dead, and he is breaking the gates of hell and letting out all of those who want to be saved. And so now we have this separation between those who are uh, made righteous by Jesus's death on the cross and those who choose to remain separated from God for all of eternity. And that's when hell becomes hell as we know it, where it's just the place of those who choose against God. So, so we could say um, in the creed that Jesus goes to the place of the dead Hey, it goes to those who have died. Yeah. Yep. And those who have died. And in the harrowing of hell, it's one of my favorite scenes where Jesus goes like first right to Adam. Mm-hmm. He goes to the first man and pulls him out. And and uh, I assume to everybody else who, who wants to come along, he's like, hey, I'm finally here. Let's go. They've been waiting for God to do something since they died. And now there's God himself breaking and invading into, into the place of the dead. God bless Adam and Eve. Yeah. What, what a moment. I know, I know. It's it's a, I mean, it, it gives you goosebumps to read that that whole account. It is so so good. So, Jesus descends into hell. He descends to the place of the dead. Descends to the place where he didn't have a, a, a foothold. Right, boom, and now is able to to break the gates of hell from the inside, which the gates are locked on the inside to keep us from coming out. And he breaks through and saves us. Mm. You know what it it makes me think about? One of my favorite movies is uh, Shawshank Redemption. <sighs> He was a tall drink of water. And you think about that movie. I know a lot of people have seen that movie, and it's it's been on TV over the years all the time. But you think about that movie, the a, a prisoner from the inside mm. it escapes, 
and yes, you know, it doesn't it doesn't free the whole the whole prison, but you think about how Jesus becoming man, Jesus taking on our flesh, entering into the world, uh, suffering as we suffer, living our life fully. It was it's like he he came to our fallen state, right? He came to um, you know experience our life here on earth in order to raise us up to heavenly glory and, and not just the earthly life, but even that uh, place of the dead to even go there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so there's like this fullness of, um, he, he is not afraid of literally the, the darkest places. Yeah. And we're even talking about darker than anything you'd experience on this earth. Exactly. Yep. And he's just, he goes and dives right in, right? And because he had to go through the cross to get there. Like he had to go through the, the, the agony of, of the crucifixion to, to, to enter into that place. And he, he does that willingly. He chose to do that. Amen. Right? That'd be like, that'd be like a, someone choosing to go to Shawshank. Like I'm doing that for everybody that's in there. Yeah. Woof. That's right. He, he's innocent, just like Andy du, Andy Dufresne. Andy Dufresne is a tall yes. old drink of water. <laughs> that's a great movie. So, I love yeah. it so much. So that's what we have for uh, today. Just a couple of questions. We're going to try and grab some more, though. I think we should bring this back as a regular segment. Questions sure. from high schoolers. If you have any questions in the audience you would like us to talk about, please send them. Uh, you can leave them in a comment. You can send them in an email. We've got all that in the description. Uh, so be sure to like, subscribe, and uh, continue to request more episodes so we can actually continue to put them out in a timely manner. Amen. That's the, the uh, that's always the goal is to put them out in a timely manner. That's and it sometimes happens. That that's our uh, we're 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 aspiring. You know, everybody has uh, Advent. Um, you know, things that things they want to do yes. uh, during Advent. Maybe that's one of our Advent goals. There we go. Advent hashtag Advent goals. So, all right, we will see you. Hopefully, yes, we will see you all next week. On the Amen. Flint Catholic podcast. <laughs>